don't focus just on the step when you measure focus on the entire funnel because you might change one step that does great but it has very negative impact further down the road so when you measure that keep in mind the full picture why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail how do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries in the age of mobile these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth Hello everyone, we are happy to have our next guest, Sylvain Gaucher, currently the Senior Manager for Growth Product and Mobile Marketing at Babbel, where he focuses on product-led growth, early product adoption and monetization. Before Babbel, Sylvain co-founded Aptamin, a creative agency that works with brands to produce creative video ad campaigns and app store content. So great to have you here, Sylvain. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So tell us a bit about... Babbel, for our audience who doesn't know what Babbel does, I'm sure many, the majority know. And how about your role there and how you got to the company? Yeah, of course. So Babbel is a language learning ecosystem. It was actually one of the first apps to learn languages. And so there's a core app, but we also have uh, live classes with teachers. We have podcasts, we have a lot of content. So we really see that to create multiple ways for people to learn languages. And so... At Bubble, I mean, you mentioned what I do. I started in the mobile app industry a while ago, and I was basically marketing apps that we built with friends, you know, trying to get exposure on blogs, newspaper, doing some ASO. It wasn't really called that yeah. at the time yet, but also thinking about the product. And that's what I really like with my new role at Bubble is being on the B2C product side of things and not just the vendor part. And... I love learning languages, and, and so Bubble was a great fit when, when I started looking for a new place. So how does, you know, when we think, usually on the show, we have people who are on the product side or the marketing side, probably more on the marketing side. But what does product-left growth mean? How do you think about that? What are some metrics you look at? The way I think about it is, it can mean a bunch of things, of course, but it's optimizing the product so that you actually see the bottom line growth and the revenue growth and growth in numbers in general. Not, so it's not just about serving and solving the, the customer problem in a sense. It, it's also about growing that bottom line. And the different companies do it differently. I, I'm most focused on is the onboarding, the paywall, the mm. early product. So we really kind of consider the onboarding and, and that paywall and maybe the, the first experience as a separate product. Um, mm. And it's it's tweaking this so that you can get more people in and so that you can also optimize the rest of the product. But if you don't get those people in to begin with, then you don't have enough volume to even, you know, start A-B testing lessons or, you know, as you go further down the funnel, you, you need some volume and it all starts by, by getting people through the onboarding and, and into your product. Very cool. And you were mentioning earlier that you've had like a really interesting career and you've you know, I, I was looking at your LinkedIn. You're like very well known in the growth ecosystem. Tell us a bit how you even got into growth. Where did it all begin? And tell us a bit about your journey. Because I think it's a really interesting journey and there's probably a lot of learnings from that. Yeah, yeah. So like I was saying, I have a computer science background, but I realized I wasn't really <laughs> built for that. And so I, I shifted through to marketing through side projects and, and personal projects and building apps with some friends was what I ended up doing 
And so the, I was doing the, the marketing of that. It was back in 2011 or something. And so we realized videos were a good way to showcase an app because we were sending press releases and, and materials to journalists and bloggers because that was the game at the time is like getting exposure online publications so that people will know about your app. So we realized videos were pretty useful to to show an app and mm-hmm. we need a few. And you know, this led to how we created Aptamin, the agency I, I co-founded. And I still stayed in mobile marketing because we were creating videos for apps and the whole marketing and content marketing part was about creating articles about video, about ads, etc. So I never really left the mobile app marketing industry. And when I transitioned out of that, of Aptamine and I wanted kind of that B2C product side, that's when Babel US seemed, seemed like a great fit. That's awesome. And you joined Babel at the beginning of the pandemic, right? So I did my one interview in person and everything else was virtual and the entire onboarding and, you know, all to now was virtual. I saw some members of the team once or twice, but I haven't met everybody in person. How do you think like at Babel, but maybe even in general, some, how do you think the pandemic changed the way people thought about acquisition, retention and growth in general? Have you seen any major shifts? Yeah, I think it depended a lot on the category you were in. We're lucky that in terms of business, the pandemic was a boost for the education category. We doubled down basically our efforts, including offline, TV, radio. Last year, we were like number fifth advertiser in the US on radio. And so we basically doubled down. But in some other advertisers in other categories, they basically put back budget. If you're Expedia, if you're Hopper, et cetera, you, you might slow down on your paid acquisition. I think actually Hopper did did very well for the category, but so you adapt and depending on your category and, and the numbers you're seeing. So we double down, but there are a lot of things that you can't do the same way, especially when it comes to, to creatives. An example is that we used to have a lot of creatives that were travel related because we, we encourage people to learn the language before their upcoming trips so they can communicate with the locals and all of that. And obviously you can't be advertising beautiful Spanish or, or you know Spain or Mexico pictures when people are stuck at home yeah. and hearing sirens uh, all day long. Yeah. So so you have to adapt on, on that front. And, and the other side is really like learning a language for us is mutual understanding and real life conversations and the other kind of creatives also we we had where people talking people exchanging in the real world and and so it's the same thing if they're stuck at home you can't show pictures of people hanging out in groups there's too much of a disconnect so you have to shift messaging so why did you shift it to what was the new messaging so things to take the example of two people talking all of a sudden maybe it's a woman with her grandmother, but more on the call. Like you can see it's a video call, one on each side, and they're talking and they're connecting that way. So it's like trying to adapt to, to what's happening now. People didn't stop communicating with others. They you know, started getting on Zoom calls and, and FaceTime and whatnot. And so it's trying to, to reflect that into the creatives you have, but still, of course, with the underlying idea of conversations in a new language. Very cool. So, you know, one of the questions I always ask, I actually asked this in interviews too. It's like, what is one campaign that you ran around growth that you're like really proud of and you think it's really cool that you you can share with, with, I think people learn a lot from stories. Yeah. So 
in interview, I could share more specific numbers, <laughs> but so I can share specific numbers, but we, we've had some great wins on the onboarding and payroll front. What I can share a bit more about is kind of the overall process. I think yeah. that is interesting. Don't be it's, awesome. it's no secret science, but you can get a lot of inspirations, first of all, from the different frameworks that are out there. One that I really like is the Psych framework that was made popular by Reforge. I forgot who created it, but they made it popular where it's about the energy levels of people as they go through your onboarding. And so you don't want to keep depleting the energy level by creating just friction. Otherwise, they get to the moment where you want them to convert and they might not. So it's about balancing friction with positive signals. And this kind of thing for me is, is mm. fascinating. I haven't heard of that, actually. That's really interesting. I'll send you the, the link. It's a really interesting exercise. I, I'm assuming you could do the same like for SaaS in general and trying to, to balance, like, you know. Give them like enough dopamine and like rewards throughout the onboarding process so they don't feel they just have to do shitty stuff. Yeah, and you know, that's a completely different, but that's what Amazon would do when they put just like ratings of a product or a discount. Like maybe you're never going to see that full price, you know, that is crossed out. Maybe it never exists, but it's there. It's crossed out and you have a saving on that. So as you go through the through the funnel, then you, you try to either create urgency or scarcity or, or create or show social proof, these kind of things. And so that's like those frameworks are, are one one part of it. And then, of course, you can do user research and, and talk with your customers, understand why they drop out. What I do a lot is I obsess about trying other apps onboarding as well from you know, all categories, but also like all kinds of categories. There's a little plug. There's a great website called The App Fuel, where you can you know, basically see the onboarding from a bunch of apps. And so you can spot the ones that seem the most interesting and then download them and try it yourself. And that allows you to say maybe the 24 first hours of the experience of an app. And it's, there's tons of gems. And so then you adapt and you, yeah, and you start testing your hypothesis. And how do you measure the things that you're working, even when you talked about the energy, how do you measure, like, are you doing the right balance of positive versus annoying energy? How do you think through all of that? Yeah, yeah. So of course, it's never an exact science, right? Like the customer journey, especially for apps, is not it's not just the funnel and it's not everybody does the same thing. Maybe they're going to drop out halfway through and then remember about you or they're going to give you their email and forget about you for two weeks and then, and then come back. So it's super complicated, but you have to dumb it down when you do this kind of yeah. exercise, at least at the beginning. So you define the different steps of your funnel that you're tracking with your analytics and then you see where the, the biggest drop-offs are. And there's some drop-offs that you're never going to be able to obviously remove. There's always going to be some drop-off, but that can allow you to find out some quick wins, like we changed this button, like why did everybody stop going through? And so you start forming your, your hypothesis for the biggest drop-off points and you test them. Don't focus just on the step when you measure, focus on the entire funnel because you might change one step that does great but it has very negative impact further down the road. So when you measure that, keep in mind the, the full picture. So typically for us, it would be, in the end, it would be looking at the conversion from installs to sales, for example. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Do you ever 
think about like what are some good retention tactics, right? We've talked about growth. Do you have any ideas that we can share on how, how to, people should think about retention and even like reactivating like users they have left? That's a tough one. How do you flatten the retention curve? Because obviously it's always going to go down yeah. to some extent. The I think lifecycle management is a big one. So CRM, emails, and following up with, with people, depending on, on your category, they might need more or less guidance and, and assistance. So you're basically taking them on a journey with, with you. And if they drop off, you, you want to, to bring, bring them back. So that can push via email. And then you see other categories that do very interesting things where it's quite different. It's like if you look at e-commerce, they're going to be very heavy on on discounts, on promos, on sales. And, and that's very interesting as well. And games have live ops. So there's things you can take from different categories and, and try to see if it matches whatever you're doing. Interesting. I like that a lot. I think the you know, the different categories and gaming specifically, I think there's so much to learn from like... I play a lot of mobile games, so they do a very good job both onboarding me and three, bringing me back into the game. And it's actually quite impressive. I spend a lot of money on mobile games. It's like my... <laughs> You're one of those whales that everybody's looking for now that there's no more idea for it. I'm definitely one of those whales. I spent so much money on two dots recently, and like I've played a lot of games throughout. How about something you've done, like a growth campaign that you thought was going to be amazing, but it you measured it and it tanked. Yeah, so like it's more on the acquisition side, but before I was at, at Babel, I worked with several apps in, in different categories, did a little freelancing, and we were running Google UAC campaigns. And I had read that to scale the campaigns, what one thing you can do is create additional ad groups and each with a separate theme, each you know, advertising different value propositions. Yeah. And, and so we, di- we did exactly that. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Yes, because the idea is that the algo Google uses is this big black box, right? So you give it its your creative, and then and it does the job. And so everybody was saying, yeah, create those ad groups by theme, and that way the algo finds the the new pockets of users. And the challenge when you do that is that the new ad groups you when you launch them, they initially get favorited by the algorithm. So if they're less important than your initial ad group, they're going to start cannibalizing your your existing ad groups. And so not only you get less volume, but in general, like your cost increase. So you end up shooting yourself in the foot doing that. It's still a good, it's still a good technique, but you pretty much have to launch the, you know, all the ad groups at the same time. And and that can be tricky if you already have a a campaign running. Interesting. I think that's a really like interesting learning. It's very specific too. So I, I like it. Usually like some of the insights people give in this podcast are more general, but this one is so specific and so good. Sorry, I didn't go very meta. No, I love it. I love it. No, this was a positive. I love how specific it is. Okay. Speaking of someone on our team, Alex Bauer, when he heard we were interviewing you for this podcast, he got really excited. And he said, we should ask you about these two websites that you are behind, Growth Gems and ATT Prompts. Tell us a bit about each. So Growth Gems, I was checking it out earlier. Seems like you sign up and you get like little insights, but I think you'll explain it better. Yeah, yeah. So when I, like early last year, I had some free time, you know, after transitioning out from Aptamin, and I'm oddly passionate about mobile growth. And I wanted to learn as much as I could and, you know, accelerate my progress. And and so I, I started 
this uh, newsletter called Growth Gems, where basically what I do is I listen to the best podcasts, webinars, panels I can find on mobile growth, and I share the, the key insights that I call gems. So basically, I'm mining for, for gems amongst all those mobile marketing resources. So in 18 months since I started, I went through 400 different resources, like 400 panels, webinars, podcasts. So I, wow. you know, I do that day in and, and day out. And, uh, That's and incredible. I, I think gathering all those, uh, all those insights somewhere and, and, and sharing them via the newsletter. Very, very cool. So for all of you listening, I think that's, if you're listening to this podcast, you will probably love Sylvain's newsletter. And then the ATT prompt is such an interesting one because I definitely did that internally. I ran like a, like a contest internally and I asked people to share ATT prompts and I get prizes because it was so hard to like understand how all our customers are using this. And you did this for the public. And I thought that was like really cool and interesting. I was getting friends messaging me how to do my ATT prompt. How is everyone else doing it? And your website really showed up a lot. So how did you, how did that come up? Are people using it? Yeah, that was a little more opportunistic because I'm so into mobile marketing. I ended up, you know, talking a lot internally about iOS 14, IDFA, how we were going to adapt and all of that. So I was very much in, and obviously you surely noticed that over the last year, there was so much that was said and recorded on the ATT topic. And so at one point, someone asked in, in one of the Slack communities, do you have ATT prompts, et cetera? And I just created an error table. And I put 20 in them in there and I say, here, I created an air table that, you know, if you want to contribute, please do so. And that's it. So there were a, a couple of people that actually at the bottom of the website that initially helped started it. And then other people chimed in and added their, their own ATG prompts and it kind of took a life of its own. Interesting. We've had this really awesome career, but I think one of the reasons I do this podcast is to get to know the people behind girls. So, you know, behind you know, looking at your LinkedIn or resume or some of the projects you've done, what's one thing about you that we couldn't find by just doing a Google search? Yeah, so it it turns out I have 41 plants is what I realized this weekend. Because we, I don't know if, you, if you've heard, but we had this tropical storm watch coming on the East Coast. And so I had to bring all the plants that were in our backyard inside and we already had a bunch inside. So I ended up counting them because it, basically became a, a jungle in the house for a couple of days. So when you're saying you're a growth marketer, it means also <laughs> mobile, but also plants. So orga are your plants organic growth? or <laughs> It's all organic. Yeah. But it's not all organic. We actually paid for a lot of them and then we try not to kill them. So hopefully I'm a better growth marketer than I am a, a plant owner because, yeah, it's a learning curve for sure. I've definitely killed some plants. Oh, I have too. a fiddle leaf fig fern that lost half the sleeves. And I bought his name is Figgy. And I bought like a humidifier for him. I bought like a sensor. Like I bought so many things for Figgy. And Figgy's okay now, but we've gone some ups and downs. I do think I'm a... I'm glad Figgy's well. And what's super hard, I feel, is they, they start looking bad and you don't know if they're missing water or if they have too much water. And, and you end it's it, very hard. I did not realize. You end up taking the wrong decision. Yeah. So I have this thing that you put in the plant that shows me. How, so it turns out Figgy does not get enough light, gets enough water and AC and you know, just the light is the issue. Because if you get too much light, then they burn if it's not enough light. 
they're very thickly. Yeah, well, actually, the indoor plants are like it's a huge boom, especially since the pandemic. And there's a bunch of plant care apps that yeah. have popped up and subscription based, and some of them are doing really good. Are you using any? I used to, but for me, the challenge was that logging in when I water things ended up being same you know, almost more work <laughs> than, a lot of than work. actually watering them. So if I had a plant that was doing very badly and that was deep deep to my heart, like one that we've had for a while, then yeah, I would probably try and use it to figure out what's up with it. How about like advice? So we've talked about kind of some of the things you do in your personal life, but I'm curious. Do you have any mentors that stick out for you or people that have helped you alongside your career? And, you know, the other question was where you learn, but obviously you've said that you've read hours and hours. So you're probably the most like focused on learning person I've interviewed on this podcast. I'm pretty sure I'm the one that listens to the most of things in, in the industry, but that's because I went on this crazy journey. But it, in, in a way, the, the mentors, it, it's the same thing. I feel like I have like, several different mentors, even though I don't necessarily talk to them because I watch his webinars, his podcast, and you end up seeing, like finding many very bright people that share the knowledge. And once you've seen a, a podcast or once you've seen someone a couple of times when you've seen their face and you've seen them interacting, you feel like you know them a little bit and they teach you things. So in a sense, mentors by procreation, the if I had to name some of them, Thomas Petit, I think, is probably one you, you hear about a lot in, in, in the mobile industry. Andy Carvel from Feature has been sharing great stuff. Shaman Trowell, and there's many. That's awesome. And then at Babel, can't forget my boss, Steven Mayers, super sharp, helps me grow. So a lot of people. How about advice for your younger self? The beginning of your career, you got into mobile. I, I know there's people listening to this who are trying to become leaders, who are trying to get into growth, any advice for them? And, you know, maybe if for you a long time ago in your career. I, I went technical and computer science initially. I had no idea what I wanted to do. But once you find what you like and gets you excited, uh, then I would say go all in and, and learn all you can. The theory is nice, but it's better if you can also practice. So that combination of, of learning everything you can from others, exchanging with others, and, and then testing things by yourself, because a lot of things are great in theory. And, and then when you try them, you know, that Google UEC example I gave, you, you're going to mess up a couple of times before you get it right. That's really cool. So it's been awesome having you. We usually end with three fun, kind of random, weird questions. So let's go with those. If you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you could only keep one app, what would you keep? All right. I'm going to assume that I have no backup of it, but it would be the one second everyday app. You basically take a video, a second of video every day and, and you compile everything whenever you, you have time. And I've been using it for eight years now. Wow. So I have this you know, giant video of one second per day. It brings out lots of memories. Oh my God, that's so cool. I want to do this. I have not heard about this. I'm going to download this app. Yeah, check it out. It's a great team too. They started with a Kickstarter campaign and then they, they switched to a subscription business. Great team, great people. And, and the app is really neat. You don't have to use it like by itself all the time. You can just use your camera. Yeah. But you compile it with that app and double Love down it. as a journal if you want. Okay, cool. I'm going to do this. This is going to be awesome. How about if you had an app that allowed you to talk to an animal or a type of animal? What would it be? Yeah, I think 
Assuming that my wife can hear as well and, and communicate, I think it would be a, a llama. She she loves llamas and she'd have lots of fun. That's awesome. You're the first person who said llama. I think you're like podcast number 61. So very unique. <laughs> Most people say dogs, but we've had some really interesting ones like the, the tigers and that like Netflix show or dolphins. Or oh, we've had, we've yeah. had interesting ones, uh, but llama never before. That's cool. Here you go. How about an unlikely app on your phone? So I still have an astrology app from when I was testing it for Aptamin. And and it's actually also a very good niche in the sense that people are really into it. Yeah. Um, Which one so is you, it? I actually forgot because I would need to, to open it again. But it, what's super interesting about it is that you put in your you know, date of birth, et cetera, and then it had those periods that tells you, okay, right now you're in that phase of new challenges or like whatever. And it was pretty sophisticated. And obviously, like, I don't know how much I believe, you know, this, but obviously you can always relate. That's the way it's built. You're like, yeah, that's true. That seems right. Like high period of change in the next three months, six months. That's totally what I mean. And and they had work and they had relationship. And yeah, I forgot the name though. That's cool. I was just curious because I'm a scout. I invest for Sequoia as a scout and I remember I was looking through apps and there was this one astrology and I started looking at numbers and I was like, wow, astrology is big. These apps are growing like crazy. So I was curious if it was the same one. So it's called the pattern. It's a different one. Yeah. But still very cool. I think it's a very big thing with like Gen Zers from what I can see on TV. (laughs) Yeah, probably. And I mean, yeah, once you're on that niche, if you have a subscription model, it's it's really good place to be, I think, because yeah, they don't leave. They don't leave. I used to be really into astrology when I was younger, so I totally get it. I don't always also kind of believe in it now, but I used to, so I, I definitely understand that. I used to buy books. You believe in two dots now. In two dots. And I mean, it's funny now, instead of astrology, I do things like Myers-Briggs and all these tests, which are not that different than astrology. They still put you in a bucket, except you take a test instead of like looking at your star chart. But it's still like, I think as humans, we have this need to put ourselves and others into buckets to understand each other. So it used to be, whether it's astrology or a test, they're probably not that different really. But it's just like, oh, the world makes, I think we try to bring order to like the chaos that humans are. (laughs) So, yeah. Cool. Well, Sylvain, it was so nice having you on the show. I feel you've had some really great advice and some really like very specific insights for our audience, which was amazing. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Keep it up. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing. Keep growing.